Hi, and welcome to Applewood Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you joined us today. If you are new to our podcast or maybe new to our church in general, none of us have it together, but we're here to worship the one who holds us together, and that is Jesus Christ. We hope that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and strengthens your heart as you continue your walk with Christ. So let's join Pastor Derek for today's message. Here's a question as we dive into this gospel of John. Here's a question I want to pose to all of you this morning. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Son of God. It may be astounding to some that such a question is still relevant after nearly two millennia of Christianity. Almost every major false religion tries to answer that question, saying that Jesus was a prophet, he was a good teacher, he was a godly man. The problem is that the Bible answers the question and tells us that Jesus was not just a prophet or a teacher, but he was infinitely more. He was God. One of the saddest realities, church, during this whole election season for me and for many of you is to see that so many people claim to be followers of Jesus, yet they're living and advocating for issues that Christ was directly opposed to. In a way, many say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, but they've created their own Jesus. And as you present truth to them of who Jesus really is, and you answer that question for them, and you teach them, they still reject the word of God, and yet still want to retain this idea that they are a follower of Jesus. Many people profess to be the true followers of Christ, yet condone the moral matters that he stood against. Many people profess to be true followers of Christ, and yet believe in the idea that Jesus requires no commitment or no sacrifice. Politicians say they follow Christ. They believe his church is too judgmental when she stands for truth. Many people say they love Jesus but do not hold to the biblical view of life beginning in the womb and they go as far as celebrating that life is being taken right out of the womb. Many people say they are Christians but are dividing the church by identifying those around them based on race and not what the Bible identifies people by, by simply are they washed by the blood of Jesus or not. Many people profess their love for Christ but argue against the very God-given model of marriage between a man and a woman. It doesn't take long to realize that from common folks to high-ranking politicians, people have created their own Jesus, who sadly is nothing like the biblical Jesus that we're going to read about this morning. So my question to you this morning, who is the real Jesus? How you answer this question determines your eternal fate. How you answer this question determines if you will spend eternity in heaven or hell. And my prayer as your pastor and friend for everyone here at Applewood Baptist Church, that you would believe in the biblical Jesus, not a Jesus that has been created, who is elusive, who is comfortable, who is convenient, and who are popularized. 
We're going to start a series in the Gospel of John where John makes it dramatically clear who Jesus is and his purpose for redeeming the world. So would you please excitingly open your Bible to John chapter 1 as we look at the first five verses in the Gospel of John. As you guys are turning to John, I just want to give some background. Most scholars agree. John, the beloved disciple, wrote this gospel. God is speaking through him, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the same John, him and his brother, James. They were called the sons of thunder. And as I was thinking about this, as we dive into this gospel, this book, this gospel begins with thunder. The first 18 verses are packed with the identity and purpose of Jesus Christ. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder who he is. The first 18 verses we're going to see in the next couple weeks are overwhelming when it comes to Christology and defining who God is. Most argue was written around AD 90. And what is the purpose of John's writing this? As he sits down to write this, what is his purpose and what is God's purpose through inspiration. John answers this later on in his writing. In chapter 20, verse 3, this is what he says. Here's his purpose. So then many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. What is the purpose of the gospel of John? That you would see Christ and you would believe and have faith in him leading to eternal life. What is the goal of preaching? It's not to entertain. It's to preach Christ where if you do not have eternal life through the son, that God through the illuminating of his word would open your eyes to see who he is and what he accomplished on the cross. This is God's, John's purpose. So let's dive in. John chapter one, starting at verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. May God add His blessing to His Word. As we look at these five verses... We're going to see three biblical realities this morning. Number one, we're going to see that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Secondly, that Jesus is the creator of all things. And thirdly, as we walk out of here this morning, may we learn or be reminded that Jesus is the source of life and light in the world. So let's dive in. Jesus is the Word. Look at verse 1. John begins his gospel, in the beginning was the Word. It's amazing. John begins his gospel the same way Genesis 1 began the written word, in the beginning. And John says, in the beginning was the word. And the verb was indicating that at the beginning of the universe, the word was already in existence. Before time ever began, church, the word was there. Before God spoke the heavens and the earth into being, the word was there. Well, who is the word? I mean, what is, God, what is John talking about? If you look at this word, it stands logos. It refers to speech, reasoning, explanation. This idea of logos, the word, is familiar to both the Jewish audience and the Greek audience that would be reading this. John knew that they knew what he was talking about. The Jews, they referred all throughout the Old Testament. They spoke 
of God as the word of God. So much so that if you look at the Old Testament, the word of God, truth existing, came into the world, occurs over 1,200 times in the Old Testament alone. Psalm 33, verse 6, it's an example of this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their lights. By the word, heavens were made. The Jews heard this and they knew this. They were familiar with this. Who is John talking about? Jesus, God himself. But what about the Greeks? They used the word logos to try to understand meaning and order of the universe. They went at great depths to try to understand what was going on in the world, to give the world meaning. And here, what does John say? The first verse of his gospel to the Greeks, you don't need to look anymore. You want meaning. You want understanding of the world. Look at the Son. Look at Jesus. Look at God himself. The word has a name. His name is Jesus. Later on, John is not ashamed of this. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Who is the word? It's Jesus, the son of God. Jesus is the message. He gives understanding and order to the universe. He's the focal point of our faith. John desires that all of mankind, God desires that we see Christ for who he is. It's the word, Jesus. Every knee shall bow before and confess him as king. It is the word, Jesus, who will judge all those who ever lived. It is the word, Jesus Christ, who is the centerpiece of this incredible redemptive narrative that played out through the words of Scripture. And what does John say? You want to see God? Look to Christ. He is the written word embodied. I mean, how amazing is this? We don't have to, to guess, church. We don't have to wonder what God is like, who God is like. We don't have to wonder what is truth and what is evil, what is light and what is darkness. We don't have to create it in our own mind or heart. What does John say? The word is here. Look to the word. Truth incarnate. Pretty incredible. We don't have to guess. And John goes on in these first two verses to give us three very important biblical truths regarding the word, the Son of God. These truths are crucial to believing in the biblical Jesus, so much so that if any one of these truths, you're sitting here hearing what we're about to talk about, if in your heart you say that is not true, then you believe in a different Jesus than the Bible. And what is the first truth John talks about is the word? He says, the word was there in the beginning. What a profound statement. John is saying Jesus has always been. There was never a point in time where Christ was created. He was not created. He was always there. Jesus is eternal. The word is eternal. Colossians 1, Paul says in verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Paul is saying Christ is before all things in him all things hold together. Jesus in John 17, his high priestly prayer, listen to what he says in verse 5. Now you, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is saying, before anything was created, I was with you. I'm eternal. This is a biblical truth. Yet outside these doors, most false religions and false 
prophets, they attack this biblical doctrine within Scripture that God has always been. Christ has always been. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses teach Christ was created. Not true. I mean, just this one doctrine can protect your family, your heart from being led astray. That Jesus is eternal. He is God, and he was always there. Notice what he says next. Jesus was with God. The word was with God. John says it again. God is reminding his church. This is non-negotiable. Not only did the word exist in the beginning, but he also existed in the closest possible connection with the Father. If you look at this Greek and you break it up, one commentator said you could almost say, John is saying, Christ and the Father have been face-to-face in fellowship since the beginning. I mean, the intimacy and the closeness and togetherness, the fellowship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, this is where we get the doctrine of the Trinity. And we find evidence from this in other places throughout Scripture, church. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at this Hebrew word, Elohim, it's the name for God, and it's in plural. It's in plural in the Hebrew. Even in Genesis 1, God, the Trinitarian God, created the heavens and earth. And later on in verse 26 of chapter 1 in Genesis, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He says, let who? Us make man. Jesus wasn't ashamed of this. John's not ashamed of this. God is not ashamed of this. This is crucial to our Christology. Christ was not created. He is eternal. He's always been. And look at what John says next. That he was fully God. So in the beginning, Jesus was there. He was with God. And then John says he was God. This is, church, one of the clearest, most direct declarations of deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and all throughout Scripture. You can't get this wrong. What does John say? Jesus was who? God. He's not an angel. He's not a good teacher. He's not a good prophet. But he was God. The Father and the Son are equally God, yet distinct in their persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father, yet they are equally God. And God the Holy Spirit making one God in three persons. John 5 eight, Jesus says this. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. The religious leaders hated this. Jesus comes on scene. He's not ashamed of this. What is he saying? Me and the Father are one. I'm fully God. The religious leaders hated this. Why did they hate us so much? Because if Jesus was fully God, if he was truly God, fully man, fully God, what would that entail? The religious leaders, everyone would have to submit to him as an authority, and they didn't want to do it. They would rather kill him, crucify him, blasphemy. Jesus was not ashamed of this church. We are not to be ashamed of this. We are to stand strongly with correct Christology, who Christ is. Revelation chapter 1. Verses 17 and 18, when John got a glimpse of what is waiting, that's what he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid, I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. 
and I have the keys of death and of Hades. I mean, this is incredible. John gets this glimpse of Jesus, and what does Jesus say? What does he say? He quotes Isaiah 44, 6. Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am eternal. I have been with the Father. I am fully God. This is what he's saying. This is what we believe as a church. And if anyone comes knocking on your door saying they're a Christian and does not believe this, reject it. It is not true. They've created a Jesus after their own liking. If you do not believe these truths, your eternity might be at stake. These are non-negotiables. Church, we don't get to make Jesus who we want him to be. It's not our choice. Sadly, this is becoming more and more of a reality, especially as culture discounts the word of God. This is old-fashioned. Don't read it. Don't spend time in it. If you do that, what do you do? Then your theology becomes experiential. Oh, I feel this way, so it must be right. Or I think this way, and that must be right. That's why we have the word. I was thinking about our boys. One of their old favorite stores in the mall was Build-A-Bear. Have any of you ever been to that store? Yeah. Build -A -Bear. You walk in the store, it's filled with stuffed animals and bears. So you can walk in the store and you can pick any bear you want, whatever bear or stuffed animal you want. That doesn't stop there. Then there's tons of clothes and you can pick what kind of clothes you want on your bear. And then it doesn't stop there. You go to a little stuffing machine and what do you do? You can stuff your bear and you can make it as firm and as soft as you want. But then it doesn't even end there. You can record what your bear says to you. And every time you squeeze it, you hear your, your bear speaking. And I'm thinking, isn't this what our culture has done to Jesus? I'm going to build a Jesus that I like. I'm going to build a Jesus that is comfortable. I'm going to build a Jesus that is going to speak to me what I want to hear. Absolutely not. The word came. He is eternal. He is fully God. He is with the Father. And he deserves to be worshipped. Amen, church? I get asked often, why? Why are you pushing abide? Why are you pushing the church to read the Bible so much? Here's the answer. Because it's through the word, the written word in Christ, we get truth. We understand who he is and we are called to be his ambassadors. We are called to represent him, how we treat people, what we say, how we live. How are we going to do that if we don't know the word? It comes through the words and Christ modeled it perfectly. Church, know the words. A Bible that's falling apart belongs to a person who isn't. Read the words. Understand who Christ is. And be discerning to recognize if someone represents Jesus in a way that's not biblical. We've seen that Jesus is God. He's eternal. He's with the Father. Look at verse 3, our second point. Jesus is the creator of life. John says, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. John uses both a positive and negative statement to prove what? That Christ is the creator through him. All things came into being. Outside of him, nothing came into being. That Christ was not just present at creation church, but he was actively involved in creating everything. From the largest whale to the smallest ant. 
from the smallest sunflower seed to the most beautiful, elegant redwood tree, from the beautiful sunrise to the stars illuminating the night sky, Christ created it all. Colossians 1, 16. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's an exhaustive list. This supports what John is saying. Through Christ, everything was created, both physical and spiritual. Revelation chapter 4, 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you were created all things, or you created all things because of your will. They existed and were created. I love this. In Revelation, we get a pic picture of we're going to be worshiping our Savior. And what does John say? What are we going to be worshiping? What are we going to be singing? We're going to be singing to Christ, glorifying his name. And we're going to be praising him that he is what? The creator. He created all things. This is part of who he is. And his creation is amazing. The Bible says that creation alone testifies to who God is. And that no one is without excuse. This is what the Bible says. Christ created all things, and it's so marvelous, so spectacular that even creation cries out to the glory of God that there is a creator. We see this in Romans 1, verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so they are without an excuse. What does Paul say in Romans? Creation is be created by Jesus, and it's so wonderful. If you're sitting here this morning, or you're watching online, and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, just based on creation and the glory and the splendor, you sit condemned and judged unless you trust in the work of Christ. All creation points to him. It's miraculous. What pride. What pride. I mean, how blind. How blind you have to be to see creation, to see human life, and yet say there's no creator. There's no divine intelligence. It just happened by chance. I mean, think of the pride to say God wasn't involved. Think of the stars for a moment, church. There are too many stars to even count. Cre creation is glorious. Think of trees. There's four billion trees. God created every single one of them. The ocean is 361 million square kilometers. I mean, creation is crying out. There is a creator. And not only with that, but what is God's greatest creation? Us, humans, we're his masterpiece. And what of offense to God to scoff at that over the sanctity of life and to even say that a child in the womb is not an act of the creator. Human life, the sanctity of life, is one of the most glorious creations through the sun. As you're sitting here, your heart beats a hundred thousand times a day. Did you know that? 
2,000 gallons of blood goes through the chambers of your heart a day. I mean, this is miraculous. Today alone, you're going to take 17,000 breaths, and you and I are rarely going to stop to think about one of them. Speaking of your brain, it's firing so quickly. Most argue you have 50 to 60,000 thoughts a day. Your eyes blink 29,000 times a day to keep your eyes clean and moist. Your skin is constantly regenerating. You shed about a million skin cells a day. I mean, we can go on and on and on and on. We serve a great God and his creation and life proclaims his goodness. We've seen that Jesus is the word. Jesus is the creator. Our last point, look at verse four and five. Jesus is the source of life and light. So after talking about Jesus being the creator of all things, John says, in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. Here, church, he introduces these two themes, life and light. We're gonna talk a lot about them over this next journey through the gospel of John. Just this idea of life, he uses 36 times in his writings. And we know that Christ gives physical life, but right here, he's not referring to the physical life he just talked about in verse three. If you look at this Greek word, Zoe, what does it refer to? Spiritual life, eternal life. So John is saying, listen, God is eternal. He reigns, he is God, he created everything. And what does he say? In him, there is life, not just physical life, but spiritual life, if you trust in him. This is the purpose, the word came into the world to purchase us, to to give us new life. Well, Pastor Derek, what are you talking about? I'm alive, I don't need new life. The Bible tells us that we're born spiritually dead. You might have physical life, but you might be hearing this right now and you are spiritually dead. Your sins have separated you from your father and your maker and your creator. And here's the thing, well, that's bad news. That's not bad news. It'd be bad news if that was the only news, but that's only half the news. What's the good news? Life came in the world. Jesus Christ came. And this is what John is saying, so what? So that we could reject him? So that we could love this world and we could pretend that we're God? No, Jesus came so that we can have life, life everlasting and abundantly eternal life through the work on the cross. He was the perfect lamb. He went to the cross. Buddha didn't. Muhammad didn't. Jesus went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice. His blood was shed. All the judgment and consequences for our sin, my sin, your sin, fell upon him. And that's what John is saying. He came for that purpose. He didn't come into the world to be fed grapes and to have a worldly kingdom. He didn't come in this world to have comfort and prosperity and set up a political kingdom that makes Christianity really, really easy and convenient. That is not what Jesus did. He came and gave his life to purchase you back. Why? because there's another kingdom that lasts forever and ever. Ephesians 2, you were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. 
You are dead in your offenses. But if you trust in Jesus Christ, you acknowledge him as Lord of your life. Something happens. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ's church, the person is a what? New creation. The old things passed away. Behold, the new things have come. You want to be spiritually made alive again? There's one way, Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying, or John is saying. Christ is the only way. There's no other options. Well, Pastor Derek, that's ex exclusive. It is. It is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive. God will give his glory to no other. His son deserves to be glorified. It is exclusive. Church, we are to stand firm. We cannot be scared to be canceled out, to be rejected. Remember, Jesus said, they hated me. Guess what? They're going to hate you as well. Look at verse 5. Christ is the light of mankind. Not only is he life, but he's light. He came into this dark world, exposing darkness. What is light? Light brings truth. Light brings holiness. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We don't need to wonder what's right and wrong. We look at Christ. He has defined it for us. He is the light. What is the light? Truth. You want to know if you should be doing it or not? Look to the words. Don't look to the culture. He's the light. Look at verse 5. How does the darkness respond to the light? The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not overpower it, grasp it, some of your translations. How does the darkness treat the light, friends? Darkness hates the light. Darkness wants to stay in darkness. And the moment Jesus came on scene, he was the word incarnate, and he is light. He is exposing the world's what? Darkness. Hated him for that. The world hates it to this day. We're going to see John play this, this theme of darkness throughout this gospel. Darkness is evil. Darkness is lies. Darkness is Satan. And darkness hates the word. Darkness hates the light. But here's the most incredible biblical truth. I hope some of you get encouraged by this. Here's a biblical reality. Light does what in the darkness, friends? Shines, and the darkness could not overpower it, could not seize it. It's the same verb used when the demon seized the young boy and the disciples couldn't get the demon out of him. And the dad comes to Jesus and says, do something. And it's the same word. So what's John saying? Even though darkness hates the light, guess what? Darkness can't seize the light. Darkness can't extinguish the light. Darkness can't put out the light. Amen for that. And Satan and his demons have been trying desperately to kill the life and the extinguish the lights. But darkness was not able to suppress the light. They hung Jesus on the cross. In darkness, our sin was fallen upon him. And then they placed the light in a tomb to keep the light in the tomb. But what's the good news? After three days, the tomb was empty and the light came out. And the light reigns to this day, church. The light has been victorious. We walk in that reality. Jesus says it is finished. 
This is the hope we have. This is the only hope we need. I can't stand up here and say, hey, everything's gonna be great. You're gonna be healthy, wealthy, and happy, and this country's gonna go this and this. I can't say that. And that hope doesn't compare to the true hope. What's the true hope, Julie Vetus? The light reigns. It's over. We've won. Christians have won. Darkness does not prevail. And one day, every sin, every lie, all darkness will be dealt with that hasn't been forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So what does this mean? This means as believers, we should have a joy, right? Not based in this world, but our joy is based in God's word that light has been victorious and that Christ has won. This week has been very difficult for some. Many of you have been reaching out through texts and emails, asking for prayer, we're praying. Seems like darkness is winning. Stuff just doesn't seem right. Maybe you feel desperate, deflated, depressed, hopeless. I hope John's word, God speaking to you this morning, brings joy. Darkness cannot overcome the light. And this joy we should be walking. We, we, we shouldn't be grumbling, complaining. God says, do all things without grumbling or complaining. What are we complaining about? And we need to be careful. The more we complain, there's a spirit of pride in a way where we could be looking to God and saying, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing. If I was in control, I would do it my way. Be careful of that spirit. God is sovereign. Picture the disciples looking at the cross and they're just so confused, like, how, how? And yet God used the cross, one of the greatest evils for the greatest good. And I pray for us as a church that we would have joy, not in anything of this kingdom, this earthly kingdom, but that the world would see that our hope is in heaven. We are citizens of heaven or else we are wasting our time. And here's what wants to happen. The enemy wants to put out your light. So instead of shining brightly for the glory of God, you become like the darkness. You just blend in the world. We have the gospel. We have biblical promises. We have the Holy Spirit who produces joy and fruit. Nothing can change our purpose. Church, strengthen our loins. Whatever happened in Washington, in the world, it doesn't change your purpose. No one should change the fact that you wake up every day for one purpose. It's not to have a big 401k in comfort. It's to live for Christ and to shine for him. And guess what? No president can stop you, Dan, from telling people about Jesus. Our purpose doesn't change. If you don't believe me, look at Paul. He's in prison. And what is he doing in prison? He's bringing a revival. And we understand where our joy is rooted. May we understand that nothing can change our purpose. And I want to tell you something, church. God says, when the days get darker, what happens to the light? 
It gets brighter. Let's go. This little light of mine, I'm ready. I'm praying for our church to shine like never before. I pray for you to shine like never before. I pray as God purifies his church and starts to, to cleanse her of this self-love and this love for the world, that what happens is the glory of God begins to radiantly come out of our lives and in our families and our church like never before. Remember that Christ is sovereign, church. Remember that Satan, when he tempted Job, had to do what? We just learned in chapter 3 or verse 3 that John says, Christ created everything physical and spiritual. So even the spiritual submits to who? Our king. And even with Job, Satan had to ask permission to do what? Tempt him. Trust your father. He is sovereign. Things are happening the way it's supposed to for Christ to return. Darkness has already lost. So my question for you this morning, who is Jesus? He is the word. He is eternal. He is with the Father. He is God. He is creator. And he is the source of life physically, spiritually, and light. The word of God to the people of God for the glory of God. Let us pray.